Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast Friday, September 3rd. Man, we are only a day away from this top five showdown in Charlotte. These top five playoff type matchups never get old. I think I've covered 10 of them. Playoff games since 2015. Always so much fun to see football, college football being played at the highest level. Tons of analysis and insight and intel right now at TigerIllustrated.com. Moving forward into tomorrow and beyond. Never a better time than now to sign up. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, to our conversation with Mark Bradley, longtime columnist at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Guy is full of stories about the old days and has amazing recall uh, into some of those events. Really fun conversation here with Mr. Bradley. Enjoy. Okay, joined by Mark Bradley of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, longtime columnist. How you doing, man? Good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, had David Pascal on, who, whom you know uh, from the Chattanooga Times Free Press, last week. And we were talking about just uh, uh, the old days, uh, I guess, and, and reasons why we got into the business. And we both agreed that reading your work, uh, in my case, back in the late 90s, really, really sort of inspired us to say, man, I want to do that. I want to be able to write like that. And so really played a role, a formative role in, I think, both of our direction into, into the business. So it's an honor to have you, have you on the Dubcast. Well, you're, you're, you're really nice to say that. And so is David. I, I think that's, I think that you have, uh, you have overrated me quite a lot. But, uh, <laughs> I really, uh, I really do appreciate you saying that. One of the things that I marveled over at times, and other people as well, with, with your how you do your job is, and to the average person listening, you know, they're probably not going to totally understand this. So it's kind of going to put it into layman's terms, I guess, but. When you're in a press box and you have a 
you're working for most people are working for newspapers at the time and it's a night game and so you have all this deadline pressure and you have the pressure to file for the first deadline at 10 o'clock I guess 10 30 back then and so right. you're, uh, often you're 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 busy writing for that while still trying to you know pay attention to the game that you're there to, <laughs> to cover yeah. and analyze and uh I remember there were several times in in some of those situations where I'm just I'm just sort of trying to come up with a lead paragraph for my final story late you know at 11:45 and I see you closing up your com- closing up your computer and leaving, and I'm like, how could he have come up with something that's actually good, you know, in in that small amount of time? And then I read what you write the next day, and I'm like, I couldn't have written that if I had four hours to write it. Well, uh, you're very nice to say so. Again, um, um, well, I w- the first thing I would say is that desperation is uh, is. Uh, is the mother of invention, meaning that, you know, you, as I've kind of learned very early in the day, if you can't make deadline, it really doesn't matter how good a writer you are because they're not going to tell you to go cover a game if they're going to be getting it an hour after the last paper uh, prints. So um, I, uh, but I, I don't know why, because I'm not necessarily a calm person in the rest of my life. But uh, but I am I do tend to be pretty calm on deadline. I, I, I don't know why that is. Maybe because I'm just trying to, you know, uh, I, I tend to I tend to lock in when I'm when I'm working. I, I don't I don't like I don't watch TV out of the corner of my eye or I don't listen to music. I, I tend to just write when I'm writing and uh, and and with the game I you know I, I'm. You know, obviously, you've got something to to watch, uh, and uh, you know, I, I've had some. I mean, like everybody, we've had uh, you you go to a, a you go to enough games, and you'll get you'll see you'll see games change. Uh, you know, at the very end. I mean, the greatest example that I have is Game Seven of the NLCS, the Braves against the Pirates, when I had just written this. So, uh, I had to write running. Obviously, that was a night game, and uh, running means writing as the game is going. Yeah, running as you know. And I, I was, um, I had sent. I, if you recall, the Braves had led that series three to one, and they, uh, they were, they, they were about to blow it. And that's what I wrote that they had blown it. Uh, and uh, I, I spent, you know, like. Uh, you know, the fourth through the eighth inning writing this. And then I sent it as the bottom of the ninth was starting. <laughs> they were behind two to nothing. And as as I picked up the phone to uh, make sure that what I'd sent from the auxiliary press box at the old ballpark had gotten to the desk, uh, Terry Pendleton hit a double into the corner. <laughs> and I remember yelling into the phone, don't run this one, it's a win. <laughs> Which is now the desk, desk obviously would have known not to do that. I mean, it was it was like you know because it was just the total rip of the Braves, and and at a lot one of the things I sort of train myself to do in, in a column you can do this a little bit is you kind of can leave yourself some wiggle room. You don't necessarily have to start with the final score. You can you can kind of like um, you know and and you can like 
shade it in a way that it is going the way of the team that's winning, but you also are, have covered yourself enough that you could, you know, go back and redo it if, if, if need be. And that one, the one I had done that night was not in <laughs> any way salvageable for when the Braves won with, uh, Francisco Cabrera getting the hit and Sid Bream's scoring. And it was, I, I remember, I, I, I just called the desk and I said, okay, what do I do? And they said, we need you to beat the game story in. And I said, okay, I'm going to have to rewrite completely. And then I did. And I, they, the desk says that I rewrote in 20 minutes. I, I think that's, I think that's also overrating me. I, I think it was more like 25, but I remember that it was, it was almost like an out of body experience because I, I just, I knew that was probably as big a sporting event as I was ever going to cover. And I'm just saying, I've got to do this. And, and what I ended up writing wasn't particularly great. I didn't think, but the fact that it made the paper at all was, was, you know, I, I would say it was a highlight of this career, such as it has been. Um, and, and uh, you know, because I, I literally, no no word from take one, not not one word, not one sentence could be uh, could be used in, in what I wrote. But all I did is the only thing I knew how to do, which was like, um, which was like essentially just recreate the bottom of the ninth and just go through it. And then it ends up Braves win. So it... Uh, it was that that's that's still the night I remember first uh, when I when people ask me what's the what's the highlight of your career and and the second thing I usually mention is is kind of on the other end of the spectrum which is the Falcons leading the Super Bowl twenty eight to three uh, which uh, which ended up with them not winning and um, you know that that's that's like the other side of that one. But uh, I, I will tell you that one of the few times in my life um, that I have ever, like, said to myself, okay, this game's over, no, there's no question, because I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty cautious about doing that, having been burned uh, back in the early days of my career. One of the few times I've ever done that was with uh, the Clemson-Georgia uh, Tech game at Clemson, <laughs> uh, the, the Captain Johnson game. 2004. And, yeah, and uh, I, I mean Clemson had just outplayed them that <laughs> night. I mean there was no chance of Tech coming back, and and then all of a sudden you look up, um, and, and Calvin Johnson's catching a touchdown pass, and it's it's within you know. And then if if I remember correctly, Tech uh, Clemson runs like a long touchdown, and 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 makes it back to a two score game. And, and then, so, you know, then you think, okay, it's still all right. It's still all right. Clemson's going to win. What I've written is going to hold. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, they tech scores again. And then, uh, was it Stout, the quarterback in that game? It uh, was Whitehurst. Whitehurst. I remember him having a chance to slide, yep. having a chance to dive for a first down on third and third down. And he slid and it left them short and they, uh, it may have been on second down, but they went on third down and they didn't get it, and they ended up punting, and um, or trying to punt. Did they, did they <laughs> mess at that point? It was the, the snap, like the snap, dribbled yeah. back. They, yeah, the snap got messed up, and then all of a sudden Tech's got the ball and they throw it to Calvin Johnson again, and Tech wins. 
and I'm like, I, I remember, um, um, you know, I, 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 I just, there was nothing, I, I mean, it, it was unbelievable. And the game ended after midnight. So it was like, um, it was like uh, going to be a tough enough deadline thing to begin with. But that one, that one is one night I, I didn't quite make deadline because I mean, there was, there was just, there was no way that I anticipated what was coming, coming that night. And, uh, it just, uh, it was just, I, I, I you know, I remember getting home from that game about three thirty uh, in the morning and it was just like, uh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. <laughs> I was like, what, 17 years ago? So, uh, yeah. Well, I was, uh, I don't know how old I was, I guess in my 30s. And I had the same feeling when I got, <laughs> I think I got yeah. home that night, that early, that next morning. It's funny, yeah. before you brought that up, yeah. that game up, I was going to, I was going to bring that up because I, I was working for the Charleston Post and Courier at the time. And like like I mentioned earlier, you, you're trying to you do multiple stories for multiple editions, and so the first story you're writing right. has to be sent right when the game is over. And so my head is in in my computer, and so you're just taking glances up. Okay, right. Clemson's right. up. Clemson's up twenty four to fourteen. Okay, they don't convert. To, okay, Georgia Tech scores. Okay, that's that's fine though because all Clemson has to do is get a third down. You, you resume your your writing. Yeah. And then, oh, Clemson doesn't convert to third down. Oh, well, but still, Clemson's going to punt, and Georgia, Georgia Tech still has to drive, have a long, unlikely drive for the go-ahead score. Oh, wait, what just happened? I, I literally, after that game ended, I was trying to find people around me who could tell me what happened so I could, <laughs> so I could write about it because I – it was a good lesson. You still have to pay attention to, to, to what's I, I, happening. I, well, I actually, our, our beat writer then was Mike Nobler, who's, a, who's came to his senses and has become a, a corporate lawyer. But <laughs> uh, uh, Mike, and Mike asked me, like, the Tech scored, like, I think three times in the fourth quarter. And Mike asked me who, like, one of the three touchdowns was. We knew we knew the Calvin Johnson, but and, and I gave him the wrong name for some reason. <laughs> And, I, you know, I, I just uh, and, and he wrote it and he said and then I looked at or, or he looked at the, you know, the box score when, it, you know, when he finally could look up and said, I thought you told me. And I said, oh, I messed up. I'm sorry. So uh, but, uh, yeah, that was one, one of the many casualties that night. Uh, that was that was a, that, I, I even told Chan Gailey, the, the tech coach back then, that I, I'm pretty good at not ever given up on a game, but I, I have to tell you, I gave up on that one. And he said, well, you learned a lesson. And I thought, well, yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> so another logistical element of, 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 the, of the situations like that is there are post-game press conferences. And I'm, I'm wondering, like in the, in the, in the instance of the, of the NLCS and, and even, I guess, the, this Georgia Tech-Clemson game, are you able to get down? Were you able to get down to the press conferences after the game? I'm assuming not, since you're having to sit there and write. I was able to get down for uh, to the Braves clubhouse after the after the Breen game uh, because their, their celebration went on for a long yeah. time. Uh, so I was able to get something out of that for for a later edition, like like 
like you say, back in the old days, we used to have an edition that printed at 7 o'clock that you could buy all over the state of Georgia. That would be like the paper that would show up in Savannah. And then we had another one, uh, the four-star, that would be like a 10 o'clock deadline. And then there was a, like an 11.30 deadline. That was the five-star. And then there was even a replay where we would hold it. Uh, you know, we would we would stop the presses and put the new stuff in. And that would usually be the, the paper that would show up in convenience stores. So we don't have those anymore. We pretty much got one edition, period. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I, now the, the Super Bowl, uh, I was not able to get downstairs, although the, uh, the, the 28 to three, uh, but I could, the, uh, I could hear, uh, some of the press conference cause they were piped in, uh, over the press box intercom, the Clemson game. I did not get downstairs. I, I just, there was, there was no way I could do it that night. It's usually pretty hard too to get downstairs, in college stadiums, because you often have to go through the stands to get there, which is which is not an easy thing. Most most um, pro stadiums, as I'm, I'm sure you know, uh, they have a little bit better access, and they, you you get to go all the way down to the ground floor, um, and uh, you don't have to like walk uh, walk against a crowd that's filing out, which is a total nightmare. Yeah, is one one interesting part of our jobs particularly sports writing or sports media jobs is uh, lots of fans pay a lot of attention to what we write and say, but very few of them really have a grasp of what sort of what our jobs are as far as, you know, you're independent, you know, you're, you're not rooting for the team for or against the team you're covering. And I've, yeah. I've encountered lots of fans who just still, they don't, they're like, wait, what? You're not pulling for Clemson? Like, no, I, I can't pull for Clemson. Like, yeah, wait, a minute. And like, wait a minute. You mean uh, you mean when Clemson was lining up for a field goal against LSU in the 2012 Chick Fil A Bowl, you weren't hoping that it went through the uprights? And I'm like, no. Mainly, I'm trying to figure out what is happening. You know, I'm trying to put it all into context. So, no, I don't have time to sit there, even if I did care. Yeah. I don't really have time to care. Does that sort of resonate with you? And that there's oh, kind yeah. of a disconnect yeah. between there, there, uh, us and the people we're writing for uh, to a large yeah. degree. Yeah, it, it's like, uh, and and I would say that um, with the expansion of media, um, uh, you know, and all the online sites now, I think the lines have blurred in a way that they 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 were pretty clear when I started in the business. No cheering in the press box. That that was rule number one. But you know now you you've got people who are in the press box. You know that certainly Clemson has a website. Uh, Georgia has a website. The the University of Georgia they have their own people covering the game. The Falcons have writers. Uh, uh, for their website covering the game, and and you know they're they're obviously salaried employees, so uh, it, it's a lot different now than it was. But um, yeah, it, it people have a hard time with that, and or, or used to have a hard time with that because it was like, you know, that that's the fun part is rooting for a team, and and I used I remember the when I was in Lexington. Um, uh, Joby Hall, the UK basketball coach, was very upset with something I wrote, and I, I was a UK. I am was and am a UK alum, and he said, "When you were in college, did you write? For, did you root for us? Did you write for the team? How can you write stuff like this?" 
and I and I, I kind of said, um, <clears throat> I kind of said, um, well, you know, Coach, I was thinking about being a journalist, so I was training myself even then, not to be uh, not to be a uh, uh, a fan. But what I what I didn't tell him was that my dad had gone to U of L, and I grew up a Louisville fan. So. <laughs> So no, it wasn't. It wasn't hard for me not to root for UK in college. But, but they, they I, I, I agree. They don't understand that because it's, it's, you know, you watch a game, and you know, even even if you're just sitting here watching, uh, you know, uh, the Texas Rangers play the Minnesota Twins, you probably end up rooting for one or the other. But, you know, that that's not. I've never seen that as our job, and and I've. You know, and I and one thing I did tell Joe Hall was that, uh, you know, and I'll tell you why you the last thing you want is for me to be a fan. And he said, "Okay, what what is that?" And he said, "Why is that?" And I said, "Because, you know, what's the first thing a fan wants to do when you lose to Tennessee? Wants to fire Joe Hall." <laughs> yeah. And, and and sometimes if you're just sitting there trying to be being as objective as you can be, you think. Well, UK lost to Tennessee because Tennessee is better than they are, mm-hmm. and uh, and, and that that's a thing that I think that uh, that still resonates. You have to be kind of fair, fair and uh, uh, kind of. You have to try to be as fair as you can possibly be, and and you know sometimes the other teams are better. Sometimes they, sometimes the other team blows the game the way Clemson did or the Falcons did. But uh, you know it, it's just you know it, it's. The fun part of this, and, and and I know you know this, and everybody who does it knows it, is even at even at their worst, uh, you know, as far as logistics go, you know, press box, you know, traffic uh, deadlines, it still feels like a fun job. You know, it, it doesn't feel. Very rarely do I get up in the morning and think, you know, oh, I don't really want to work today because. You know, at the at worst, I'm writing about sports, which is what you know I would, you know, I grew up watching and grew up liking. So I, I mean, I I have no regrets uh, career-wise. I, I I'm not sure I could have done anything else, and uh, and I've I've certainly uh, I've, I've been I've been I, I I sort of blundered into the right job for me. What do you mean? Well, I blundered into it because uh, I um, I was going to go to law school, and uh, I had gotten accepted to U of L's law school, uh, and and but I I had started writing uh, for the student paper and for a startup publication called the Cat's Paws, which is still in existence. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was I think it was like the first publication dedicated to a single school. Uh, and, or, uh, and and I, the guy who was had started the Cat's Paws, Oscar Combs, told me um, uh, he was going to hire one person that summer uh, to be like a writer. And he asked me if I wanted to do that. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to go to law school here in a month, but I was going to have to move from Lexington to Louisville. And I'd started dating someone who is now my wife. And I didn't want to, didn't want to be away from hers, and I, I liked the writing part, so I I decided I would do the cat's paws thing, and that was 1977. Um, it, it, that's the year that UK, miracle of miracles, went 10 and one in football, 
and uh, and so that was you know that was my first first uh, uh, real job. Uh, the bad part was that two days or after UK finished the football season by beating Tennessee, Oscar came in to work and said, "I can't use you anymore." Uh, and so I was fired. Uh, I've, I've, I've never been exactly clear on exactly why that was, but uh, I, I think some of it has to do with the fact that he was losing money at the time. He ended up selling the paper for, I think, a million dollars many years later. But anyway, I was out of a job, and I was you cannot start, start law school like in January. You have to come to – so I was, I was like a long way from like – law school and for the first time in my life I was and the last time in my life actually I was like looking at the one ads but the Lexington Herald leader the the paper in town was demerging its sports departments at that time one for the afternoon paper and one for the morning paper and because I had met some people with the cat's paws that were were that I knew down at the Herald leader they they gave me the job of uh of covering high schools and covering Transylvania University and working the desk at 6 a.m. in the morning for uh, for an afternoon paper, and um, and that was it. I mean, you know, I got fired from my first job, and somehow or another, I've managed to keep going without getting fired over the last forty uh, some years. How long were you at the Herald Leader before you? And Six I'm, years. And, and Six you, years. you went from there to the AJ to the to I, Atlanta. I did. Yes. Thirty. Uh, I came here in 1984. Yes. And what was your what was your position when you went to Atlanta? My position was as a, a general assignment guy, a GA. I was kind of the um, that was that was kind of a position that I, I really wanted to do. I had been a columnist in Lexington at the end, but I kind of wanted because the, Le- the the Atlanta paper was then known. Uh, the Atlanta sports section was then known. As uh, as the place where they they really hired good writers. Yeah. Well, obviously they made an exception with me, but they but I mean they were uh, they were this was really the place I wanted to come. And uh, Dave Kindred was here, uh, Furman was here. Um, I mean, just uh, Jack Wilkinson, uh, Ed Hinton, Chris Mortensen, Jerry Fraley. I mean, we we had like fifty five people in sports. Tom Stenson. Wow. I mean, we were, we were, we were great. And, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I mean, I learned so much from being around all those people, you know, Furman and Kindred and, and, uh, and, and I mean, how could you not? And, uh, it, uh, and when I came here, um, uh, Furman would write for the afternoon journal, which was, which, uh, ran Monday through Friday. He would write, uh, he would write every day except Monday for Tuesday, a column. And John McGrath was kind of like the, the did the backup column when I got here. But John took a job somewhere else, and I they they kind of asked me to start doing some of them, and I guess they liked some of it. And you know that kind of led to more columns, and then and then a few years later, I was pretty much doing nothing but columns, and that kind of has has continued. So Grizzard was around back then too, right? He was. He was not in the sports department. Ah, uh, that's right. He was. Uh, he was a. He was a mega star by then, and you know, writing his books and doing his uh, stand-up shows and uh, and whatnot. He was. Uh, 
And I, I only met him about like two times in the whole time we were here together because he never came into the office. And, uh, um, but he was very nice to me. And I, and I remember, I, I, I believe at that game, that game six, game seven, uh, the, the Pirates game, Braves game, uh, he was sitting next to me in the press box. Wow. The auxiliary press box. Furman and Furman got a Furman and our beat writer got the, the main press box seats. So we were out down the right field line. And Grizzard was writing a column that night for the main section for the He was. He, he was uh yeah, he was. I'm not sure that one ever I, I don't know if that one made it or not. He had a he was the only guy there with a typewriter, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, uh he uh because it was fascinating to watch him. Yeah. Because, you know, nobody else was using a typewriter by then. We were using fairly rudimentary computers, but we they were still computers. Like, I think we were on, like, Radio Shack uh, stuff by, by then, uh, having gone through Teleram and Texas Instruments and Portabubbles and all, all the yeah, – these are things that you're too young to know. Oh, the, the Trash 80 is what they is Oh, what yeah, they that was the – that was what they handed me when I came here for Crash 80, yeah. <laughs> I think we had moved up to the one that had like a like a, a pop-up screen by, by, by 1991. But, uh, yeah, Lewis, Lewis, would, Lewis would write his, uh, write his column, and then he would read it, call his secretary, and dictate, <laughs> no. and she would, she would send it into the office. So, uh, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, but of course, I mean, you know, he was the franchise. He could do whatever he wanted. So you would hear him dictating his column while you're trying to write yours, basically? Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, again, it was, this was special because of the playoffs and everything. But yeah, that was, uh, it may not have been game six. He may not have been there for game seven, but I know he was there in the World Series of that year, uh, I guess, uh, against the um, Blue Jays. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was fascinating to watch him, and he was, like I say, he was he was very nice to me, and uh, I, I really appreciated that. It's one of those where you almost want to call in sick for a game, and just so you can not be preoccupied with work, and just you can just watch him the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's funny to watch. You know, when you first went into a press box as like a college student or or a very young person in the business. It, it, it took a while to get over, like, just kind of looking around at awe at people. And uh, I, I remember the first Final Four I went to, it was uh, uh, 1983. That was uh, the North, North Carolina State, Houston, uh, Louisville, and Georgia Final Four in Albuquerque. And uh, and I, I remember I, I, I got there and... Uh, um, I uh, I remember going. I showed up for the Saturday games, and um, you know it, it was the biggest event I'd ever covered. And I, I remember I was I was having a I was having a crisis of confidence that day. And I remember I, I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and I see Dave Anderson, the New York Times, and Kendra, the Washington Post, and Bisher of the AJC because George is in the Final Four and. Uh, Lupica and, uh, uh, you know, all the names and, yeah. and, and sports, sports writers were more names back then yeah. than they were because there was no sports writers round table on, on ESPN. I mean, you knew the, you knew the people because you saw the pictures in the paper, but anyway, I was like on the back row 
out of six rows. And, you know, my buddy Rick Bozich of the Louisville Times was, was on the front row because Louisville was playing. And, and you know, and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, you, you're probably the worst writer here. You, you don't belong in this company. And right then, that was about as Georgia, that was the time Georgia and NC State were going to tip off in the first semifinal. And the guy sitting on my right said to me, um, Georgia, they're in the SEC, right? <laughs> and I said to myself, second worst writer. <laughs> for some reason, I just relied. I mean, I laughed, and then I, I felt, okay, all right, I can do this now. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll never forget that. So he, was mid- from, he was from a mid- Midwestern paper. Um, I, 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 I knew his name, but I've forgotten it. But but that guy, uh, he saved me that day. So you mentioned uh, for a young sports writer walking into a press box back then, the star power uh, present. Um, you know, you look at all those figures. Right. And, and when I can't, you know, the late, for me, in the late 90s, I remember, I guess, going to a... a ACC basketball game and seeing Mike Wilbon there and going, oh my oh, gosh, yeah. that's him! Like yeah. he's 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 ten feet away from me. The there were so many influential voices back then, largely a product of the prominence of newspapers. Now, obviously, things are a lot different. You don't get the same feeling much when you walk into press boxes today. At what cost? With the lack of prominent media voices, not necessarily, not just nationally, but say, it's sort of a withering um, institution, I guess, or species. You know, what, at what cost does that? What, what cost does that inflict? Do you think? Well, sort of, one, one of the things that that uh, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. But um, the job I have right now is is a dying species, because uh, there aren't very many like general sports columnists anymore. Uh, like ESPN doesn't really have somebody who covers everything. They have they have people who cover, um, you know, they have their baseball experts, they have their uh, college football experts, they have their NFL experts, but that that's. That has been something that uh, that that came because of the networks is is that they just you just have people specializing in the one sports and uh, sport and then becoming the the experts and the go to names on that um, and and you know I, I'm you know I write like I just wrote a Braves column and this weekend I hope to write something on college football and uh, you know it, it it's. You know, it's a little bit different the the local sports columnist, but um, I you know I, I think that that this is a job that may, that may not be there uh, uh, in ten years or so because uh, uh, for one thing, a lot of us who have held that job uh, are are getting of retirement age, and uh, you know I've I've seen lots of really good people retire over the last five years. And, uh, I'm, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to go. I mean, I'm, I'm of the age, but, uh, I just, I haven't yet found anything else I want to do. Getting to the sort of the cost of that, I guess, in in the, 
in the area of, of, you know, news consumption, I guess one, one, the one anecdote that comes to mind is, I guess it was, was it Nixon or LBJ? I guess it was Nixon who, after Cronkite uh, was super critical of, of a happening in the Vietnam War, I guess it might have been the LBJ. Tet Offensive. Yeah, it was LBJ. Yeah. LBJ. And I'm, the, I'm, I'm old enough to remember that. Yeah, and LBJ said, well, if I've lost Cronkite, I've lost the nation. I've yeah. lost the nation. And so yeah. you could sort of, you could, that sort of phenomenon is, is, has been present, albeit to a lesser degree, you know, when you have, um, you know, prominent sports columns. Like in South Carolina, you used to have the Greenville, Greenville News, the State, the Post and Courier. Oh, yeah. And some others, Anderson, Spartanburg. And so, like, if a coach, you know, did something stupid or screwed up or whatever, you had that columnist coming in or several columnists sort of holding him to account. Do you think that's the biggest loss, or do you think, in fairness, that there's still plenty of criticism <laughs> to go around? Like, there's no well, shortage of criticism these days, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, you, just in a different on different platforms, yeah. I guess. Yeah, you uh, you won't find many encouraging words on Twitter, I don't believe. Right. But uh, I, I, yeah, that that is different uh, because I, you know, and I I, I knew uh, the guys, you know, at the at the Greenville News, and, uh, uh, and and you know, they were the guys that you kind of uh, looked to to see, you know, when you were trying to find out what's really going on with Clemson or what's really going on with North Carolina, uh, you know, you would, you would, you would read the guys at the Charlotte Observer and the, uh, and Raleigh and, and, you know, I, I think that's, that's still a thing that, that's, that newspapers still can do is, you know, is, is to provide the local thing, you know, not, not, you know, not everybody wants to read about the Yankees and the Red Sox every day of the week, the way, the way it seems to be on TV so many so often, but uh, you know, uh, I, I've read surveys um, because we we've gotten big on surveys in our uh, in our researchers, and um, one of the, th- the it is still said that that for local sports like Braves news, uh, Georgia news, Falcons news, the first pl- place people still turn is is the local sports section. Now you know again there there are so many other that doesn't mean they turned to it in such numbers as they did you know twenty years ago when there weren't all these other websites or fan sites but they uh, they they still tend to pay attention I think to the to the local voices. So you get to Atlanta in '84. Were you there for the Kevin Butler game in Athens? I was not. I was here, but I was actually somewhere else that day. Uh, I, I remember, though, that I, um, I, uh, I, I remember that that was such a big game that, uh, uh, and everybody was just going wild over it. That uh, I think I might have been in in Pittsburgh that weekend because we covered a lot of national games too, and I think I think I covered the Pittsburgh. Um, Oklahoma game that that ended up being Bill Fralick against uh, Tony Casillas, uh, two two pretty high draft picks of the Falcons in, in years ahead. But uh, and then I, then I think uh, I covered a Rams Steelers game the next day because the Falcons were going to play the Rams next. 
So I flew back into Atlanta on Monday, and I and then I got to the airport and uh, and I drove directly to Athens, so I could um, interview the holder of, uh, <laughs> of Butler's kick because we pretty well mined every other uh, angle on that by by uh, Monday for Tuesday. So uh, so I wrote about. His name was Jimmy Harrell, and he was a baseball player, too. And uh, he was really good. He was glad to talk. Not many people ask the holder questions. but uh, So that was, that was one of the ones I still remember. What are your recollections of that, even though you weren't there for that game? Uh, it was a hell of a rivalry uh, during, well, during the 80s, uh, just really back and forth, just great theater. Uh, Danny yeah. Ford, Vince Dooley, what are some of your more uh, uh, memorable well, I asked Claude Felton, uh, Claude, um, you know, Georgia had a Zoom call on Monday, and Claude Felton, their long, long-time publicist, uh, it was his birthday. And and I, I said, uh, when somebody called on me to ask Coach Smart a question, I said, if, if it's okay with the coach, I'd like to ask uh, the birthday man here a question. So, uh, and, and I asked Claude, uh, how does this hype uh, the, uh, how does this hype of Clemson, Georgia, compare to the Clemson, Georgia Labor Day 1982 hype? And Claude, in his uh, uh, unflappable si- style, said, "Oh, I'd say it's about about the same." So uh, <laughs> yeah. I said, "Good answer." <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I do remember that one because I had seen both of those teams play. Um, because actually Georgia, I was covering Kentucky then, but Georgia had played, um, I'm sorry, Kentucky had played Clemson in, uh, in 1981, uh, and, and Kentucky played Georgia every year. So I had seen both teams the year before, and, and I was going to go to Clemson that year because uh, Georgia played at Clemson and, uh, um, in 1982. Um, that was the game. Uh, two things I remember about that game is first time, three things. First time I've ever been to Clemson. Second, uh, it was uh, it was a game that Homer Jordan sat out because of NCAA questions or something. And uh, and it was also the 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 last game I covered before I got married because my my wedding was the next Saturday. So. Well, you said eighty two. That would have been at Georgia. I think no, right. No, no, well, that was that was um, yeah, uh, that was the the Clemson Kentucky game. Oh, I'm sorry, Clemson Kentucky. Yeah, oh, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the the Labor Day, uh, yeah, uh, that was that was also Jerry Claiborne's o ten and one year, and uh, and uh, Clemson was one of the ten. So, right. Yep. Yeah. Twenty four yeah. to six, Clemson. Yeah, won. I, th- I think Mike Epley or something maybe started a quarterback that day. I don't know. Is that the name? Or no, he uh, was South, he's South Carolina. No, he, Epley, Epley was okay. the starter a couple of years later, or two, okay, uh, maybe yeah. the next year. He might have started A two. I don't, I don't think so, but yeah. I'm not sure. Well, that that was Homer. He was out that game, right? So he was the starter, yeah. So, but they were they were still a really good team. They and I remember I inter- interviewed uh, the refrigerator while I was there. Bob Bradley, no relation, uh, great man. Uh, yeah, he he was he was that that to me was like the best P. Uh, SID office I'd ever been around with uh, Tim Bray and and um, and uh, uh, Bob Bradley. They were they were tremendous. Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. 
Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-35. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. How do you, is there a difference in back then in your ability um, to develop relationships with the people you covered, include, I guess, most of all the coaches yeah. compared, no, to na- compared to now? And, and what were some oh. of those relationships like uh, between you and not just, uh, I guess, not just the college football coaches, but all the all the things you had to cover. Well, it, it's so many things now uh, have uh, so many teams and schools now uh, are really big on, on limiting access. And, and, and with, of course, with the, with the pandemic, that's, that's, you know, there's almost been no access over the last, uh, last 18 months. So, um, you know, I, and I'm—I would be very surprised if we ever go back to the days of completely open locker rooms before games uh, in the NFL and, and baseball, uh, NBA. I'm sorry, in baseball. And I would—I uh, I would be very surprised to see if we ever, or we, the meaning the press, had the access that would that we had before, because I think. You know, the, the people have been forced to, to to find another way, and I and I think that some of them are going to like the way of just uh, the thought of not having to have forty five people at a Monday press conference for Kirby Smart to just throw it up on Zoom and be done with it. So back then, I know as a beat writer, obviously you need to have a relationship with the with the head coach. Um, as a columnist, did did you feel like it was your responsibility to have the same? Uh, did you sort of pick and choose, or did you feel like you had to have relationships with all the coaches that you covered? What what was that like back then? Well, um, you tried 
uh, you would always try to have a relationship. I mean, it, it wasn't going to be like a relationship. It wasn't going to be like best friends, but it was going to be friendly. Um, and uh, but not every coach enjoyed seeing uh, you write you criticize him in the paper. So some of those uh, relationships had a fairly short life, short short shelf life. Um, but you know, you try, you try to be fair, you try to ask questions in a in a respectful tone. And if uh, if coaches uh, are are um, you know uh, professional in their answer, then you then you know I, that then that you know you don't have to be best friends. But you know you don't you don't want to get the, sometimes you get to the point where they don't even want to talk to you. But that you know that's you know that's on them. And or not well, that's that's cruel. That's not on them. That that's that's I guess uh, an understandable human reaction. Uh, nobody likes being criticized. But um, the difference is that that a beat writer um, kind of has to have access to the coach um, on a daily basis, and uh, uh, whereas a columnist. You know, you, you if somebody does, decides they don't want to talk to you, you can. There are still other people, you know, around the team that you can talk to. What's the angriest a coach has ever been with you? Well, there have been a few. Um, I've. Uh, What's the um, top five? <laughs> I, I, I hate. To, I hate to say. I mean, Spurrier got pretty mad at me a few times. And oh, I, didn't that's right. on a, I didn't cover him on a daily basis. Uh, the, um, you know, um, I, uh, Bobby Crimmins is, was not the biggest fan of mine. Um, a, um, Dan Henning, uh, liked me at first and then he stopped liking me. Uh, the old, Fal- the, the Falcons coach back in the, back in the eighties, uh, I think Dan Quinn kind of did the same thing. <laughs> uh, uh, the although although I will say this, Dan Quinn was always always very professional and uh, good guy, uh, you know. And uh, Mike Fratello once said I stabbed him in the heart. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know we had been pretty big buddies. We had been, you know, not not buddies, but we had you know I could we we talked a lot just about stuff and then. I stabbed him in the heart, and we didn't talk so much after that. So, uh, but yeah, those those are those are some of. Them. I got yelled at at uh, by Alvin Gentry, who when he was an assistant coach uh, at Kansas at the 1986 Final Four, because um, uh, I was I was trying to talk to Ed Manning, Danny Manning's dad, because Danny had had a, a not very good game against Duke in the in the semifinal, and he was standing out in the hall talking talking to Gentry. And I said something, asked um, Ed Manning if I could have a word with him. I, I said I was from Atlanta. And Alvin Gentry said, you're from Atlanta? And I said, yeah. He said, are you the guy that wrote that Curtis Hunter was a bad point guard? <laughs> and, and, and I'd sort of written something like that uh, uh, that week. And I thought, this is in days before the Internet. That's 1986. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, wow, how do you see that? But he said, he said, come on, Ed. You don't need to talk to this guy. <laughs> And he like pulls him away. <laughs> so I, I I still don't know. You know, and, and Alvin Gentry would go on to be a an NBA coach for many teams, but we haven't talked since. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, it it that's part of the job. They, uh, I mean, they 
And that's one of the reasons, too, that you, uh, as I've learned over time, you, you really have to be kind of like scrupulous in being friendly without being friends. Because, you know, there, there's always going to be a time where you're going to have to say, well, you know, that draft pick of uh, Thomas Dimitrov, that wasn't really very good, was it? So, you know, or, you know, or, or anybody in any position, because, if, you know, if you're around long enough, somebody's going to criticize you for something. What did you do to stab Mike Fratello in the heart? I don't remember what that one was. Well, I, uh, well I'm, I'm sure it was a series of things. But uh, that was a year that I, I mentioned that perhaps that uh, the, the Falcon, there, there had become a disconnect between Falcons or Hawks. Yeah, they all run together. Hawks players and the Hawks coach that year. And he was, uh, he was, uh, he was not pleased to have seen that, uh, that thought expressed in print. And so he called you and told you that you stabbed him in the heart. No, he didn't call me in. He just, he just, I walked by him in the locker room and he just, he just kind of like, he, he just said, you stabbed me in the heart. <laughs> it was it was kind of like uh, in Godfather 2 exactly. where, Mike, where Michael says, Fredo, I know it was you. It's so dramatic. Yeah. And Italian. Sorry. I guess that's. Well, but anyway, yeah. Um, so, yeah. so Spurrier, the most recent was 2014. Were you the evil person in Atlanta that he was talking about? I believe I was. <laughs> uh, that was that was That was one of the stranger days of my life. I had. I had covered a Braves afternoon game, uh, and I think Julio Terran lost to the Dodgers, and I wrote something about it. And I'm getting in a car, and I'm driving home, and and you know, you know, you know how people, famous people, are always saying their phone blows up. Well, no, my phone has never blown up, <laughs> except except for that day. And I was driving in rush hour traffic home, and I and I couldn't like. I thought, who was calling me here? And finally, Chip Towers called me, our, our the, the the AJC beat person on in Athens, Georgia beat, and uh, he said, are, "Are are you familiar with what's going on with Spurrier?" And I said. <laughs> No, he said. Well, he just had a press conference about you. <laughs> I said, Are you kidding me? And uh, and and like uh, and, and like I I remember the next day uh, I did like I think I did I think I did seven shows radio <laughs> TV uh, in 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 both South Carolina and Georgia and Alabama. And it was like, you know, it was like all of a sudden I'm like, whoa. And and the weirdest part was that that it wasn't really about something I had written per se. Uh, I had written a column in from Hoover, Alabama, the, the week before about how this may be the end for Spurrier, this, <laughs> yeah. you know, here. And, and you know, I, I thought, well, you know, it, surely he wouldn't have had a press conference after something over something I wrote seven days ago. And um, but what had happened was that Josh Kendall of the then of the then of the Columbia paper, and now I think of the Athletic, uh, had asked me like uh, over in Birmingham, or, or he said, uh, what, "What? How do you think uh, um, Carolina is going to be this year?" And and you know, and I said, and, you know, he was like, he said, "We're doing like we're asking a different person to kind of like fill up the thirty days before the season." Sure. And I guess I was person number seven, or something. And and he had read that, and it said, you know, 
I'll, I'll be really intrigued to what ha- as to what happens if Spurrier uh, if Spurrier um, gets off to a bad start this year because I don't he he's never had to suffer losing seasons. I mean he the only two season, losing seasons he had were um, except maybe for the first one at Duke were the two in Washington with uh, with the football team the NFL team and and he quit after those. So I said, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it would be really interesting to see what would happen if he gets handed a losing team midway through the season. And Spurrier <laughs> had the press conference, I, I saw tape later, about how, you know, he had just he just called it. You know, it wasn't like he was reg- regularly, regularly scheduled to meet the media on a Thursday afternoon in July. Uh, and But he did. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, our enemy... Uh, doesn't want to believe this, but you know I'm here for the long, I'm here for the long haul. And then a few a few weeks later, well a couple months later, South Carolina had gotten off to a bad start, and, and this was I think in early October, and I was driving back from Athens, um, and um, and I had uh, and my uh, daughter called me, and I, I answered daughter calls, and. <laughs> And uh, she said, well, you have to be feeling pretty good right now, or you should feel proud of yourself. And I said, why? And she said, uh, Spurrier just resigned. And I thought, you're kidding me. <laughs> so, you know, in, in, a, in a career of terrible predictions, uh, somehow that one ended up being rather less terrible than the others but uh yeah that one that one that was that will that's in the memory book right there yes the record will show that every suspicion that you that you put forth uh that summer came uh it ended up being totally legit they got hammered by texas a&m in their first game and then it was was all downhill from there but uh so i guess the interpretation that i took from his rant or whatever his reaction was that they were getting killed in recruiting because that's, of, that's I, I i understand that's what i thought too because that that people are using stuff like that against him yeah and i, I that may it, you know it, i i'm sure I, I think he even said that you know even our newspaper is writing stuff like this <laughs> it, 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 i i had written much the same in the atlanta journal constitution seven days earlier but you know apparently the paper he gets delivers to his door uh got delivered to his door was was displeasing to him uh that morning and it's just funny kind of an extension of what we were talking about earlier about a disconnect between writers and fans there's also that disconnect with coaches because he was he was sort of couching it as oh that's that georgia bulldog writer over in atlanta our enemy you know, where you're—I don't think there's. Yeah, well, you know, and and it's you know, and that, and that's the thing. I mean, Tech fans think think we we root for Georgia. Georgia fans think we root for Tech. You know, I, I don't. You know, it it, it just that's the old. Uh, and, and I mean, I understand it. I mean, it, you know, you can't be a Clemson fan and a South Carolina fan. Um, you know, David Housel, the the Auburn SID, used to say that the biggest uh the biggest choice someone growing up in alabama has would uh in life was whether to be an alabama fan or a auburn fan so uh you know and that, that's when you think of it that may be true so uh it's it's you know people 
people care a lot about their teams, and then people don't like seeing their teams criticized unless they happen to be mad at the team themselves, and then they're mad if you say something nice about them. So, <laughs> so true. So oh, you, true. Oh, yeah. One one of the things that 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 another thing that you you do have to learn is that in this business is uh, you know you you can't take it personally as much as your as much as your gut reaction is to take it personally you you kind of have to try to say you know they're fans you know they're they you know if people didn't care about the sports you're writing about then you wouldn't be writing about them yeah that's why we're employed uh so paul johnson uh he was fairly cantankerous oh yeah what, what yeah. was uh what was we went back we went back and forth a little bit uh i i i remember uh I always thought he was a terrific game day coach and a terrific ta- tactician, and uh, but I, I just never could understand why they didn't recruit better. And um, and one of the re- and one of the reasons I, that I've said because I I talked to him enough is he just couldn't stand recruiting. He he just <laughs> he just wanted to coach. <laughs> and uh, our, our they they came back from they came from behind. Uh, uh, um, after it was one, after one of the games, they came from behind to beat Georgia, and uh, uh, I remember at one point uh, uh, in his post game press conference, he says, uh, "Not bad for a bunch of 80th ranked recruiting classes." <laughs> oh, <Mark. laughs> so yeah, I, I laughed. I thought it was funny. So yeah, we, I, I, I did, I, 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 I thought he's a fascinating guy. I mean, you know, and and I, I think you're seeing now that. Uh, that it, you know, with the with the transition to Jeff Collins, that you know, some people at, at points over the year we wondered if if the the Paul Johnson offense was was the reason that Tech couldn't win more. I, I think in retrospect, uh, it's it's fair to say that it could be that Paul Johnson's offense is the reason Tech won as much as it did. Uh, you know, go to two Orange Bowls, win the ACC title over Clemson. I mean. You know, he, he managed to, he managed, you know, he, they, they, they got to places in the good years where I'm not sure Georgia Tech's going to get to uh, anytime soon again. You picked Georgia, I think, to win the national title yeah, this year? I did. I've done that about 12 times already. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't happened yet. So, uh, <laughs> What uh, do you have any? I guess given the recent attrition, uh, uh, Darnell Washington out for a while. I think Eric Gilbert apparently a wall. I guess he deals with mental health issues and some other attrition. Do you George George Pickens? Yeah, yep, George Pickens being yeah. out. Uh, are you rethinking it? Are you still pretty confident in that, or are you ever really confident in a pick? I'm never. I'm never really confident. Uh, the. Um, uh, um, I, 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 I'm, I think it's just that I think Georgia, in in having a, a returning quarterback, um, in albeit one who only who started like last four games or whatever last year, JT Daniels, um, I, I think that having a returning quarterback counts a lot uh, in a game like this, neutral field, national TV, you know. Although I know the Clemson. Clemson quarterback is very talented and played against Notre Dame last year. And, and I, you know, I, that, that's, I, and, and, you know, Clemson is, Clemson's really good. I uh, mean, I mean, the, 
I mean, the, the most valuable player in college football, most valuable person in college football uh, over the last decade may be Brent Venables. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I just, I mean, I marvel at, the, at what Clemson has done. They're, you know, I know Dan Radakovich very well. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they got it going. I mean, and then, but I think that, you know, I think that Georgia needs to win a game like this. Uh, I, I think the, the burden of proof is, is going to be on Georgia until they can, until they can win the game like this. I mean, they've been pretty close. I mean, they, they, they managed to, you know, the, the unbelievable stat is they lost to Alabama in the, the national championship game. And then the next year's sec championship game in those, in neither of those games did Alabama snap the ball with a lead. Wow. I mean, you know, and, uh, because they lost in overtime, uh, uh on to his pass to Devontae Smith. And then the next year they lost because uh, 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 Jalen Hurts, who was a, came in for Tua and let him down the field and uh, scored with a minute to go. And uh, the game ended up with Georgia throwing the ball in the end zone and getting it knocked away. So it was, you know, they, they were very close to, I think, one, if not more, national championships. And, and I think this is, you know, I, I don't think last year's team was – was a vintage Georgia team simply because they had so much confusion at quarterback. And I think now Daniels is, is there's no confusion. Daniels is a guy. If they go another 40 years without winning a national championship, uh, do you think that, I guess I should say, do you agree with my belief that if you just start recruiting Deshaun Watson earlier, and show, no him, question about that show him the love. No question about that one. Then not only is Georgia football different, but Clemson football no, is different. No, no, there's, there's no doubt. Uh, I mean, you know, he was, he was a transfer. Obviously, he was, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I guess he was the greatest player in Clemson history. May still be Trevor Lawrence or no, no Trevor Lawrence. And, uh, um, you know, and, and uh, he was the, he was a transformational figure to them. And, and, you know, Georgia, you know, you know, the weird part is, I mean, Georgia has not had terrible quarterbacks. I mean, Aaron Murray, uh, uh, Matt Stafford, uh, you know, uh, at one point, Jake Fromm, everybody yep. thought a really good quarterback. And then nobody knows what happened to him when, as his, in his junior year, he just, he just didn't look like the same guy. And, uh, um, and then, you know, and, and last year, of course, they, they thought that, uh, Jamie Newman from Wake Forest would be their starter, and he opted out before the season, but after Labor Day, and they ended up going with Dewan Mathis in the first game, and that he didn't even make it until halftime, and they put in Stetson Bennett, and Bennett, who was kind of like your game manager type, uh, you know, stayed stayed there until they, uh, um, you know, until until it he got hurt his shoulder against Florida, and then the next game was was a Daniels game. But you know, at the same time, that said, Georgia led Georgia led Alabama at halftime in Tuscaloosa last year with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. So you know, even last year, Georgia wasn't far away. I mean, their only losses were to Florida and Alabama, and and um, and, and you know, and that, that was with essentially going through four quarterbacks. Yeah, not far away, but I think if you're if you're writing the the explanation for why over the last decade 
they haven't cashed in. Would you agree that you would you would have to start with them being just a a little bit behind the curve on offensive innovation? No question. Because no if question. you it, it, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Even Alabama, I mean, so much of Georgia, what Georgia does is what Alabama did because of Kirby Smart coming from there. But, yeah, I mean, Alabama's offense last year looked nothing like Georgia's offense last year. I mean, uh, but, you know, but at the same time, I think given that it was a pandemic year, they had very little prep time. They had all the quarterback issues. They had a new offensive coordinator. Um I don't know that they ever got to a place where they they were able to to do what it was that Georgia actually wanted to do, thought it would do yeah. in in, a, in that season. I, I think this year they they know who their quarterback is, and I, I think they know what they want to do. I don't that that that's not to say that they won't could still come out and run the ball uh, because that. I mean, I think at at heart Kirby Smart is still a guy who who likes basic football, and but. You know, I, I think Nick Saban was a guy who liked basic football too, and he realized he had to change with the times. The big miss in recruiting evaluations that looms the largest to me is I don't know, was it '08 Cam Newton from oh. from Georgia, and yeah. it's, uh, from everything I've read, the Georgia staff told him he was a tight end. Yeah, I, I don't know that he ever got close to signing with Georgia. It may have been that he didn't want to play tight end. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was, that's a pretty big miss. Well, then he but, goes to Florida. Yeah, oh, yeah. Then transfers yeah. to Auburn, and then in 2010 is part of a super innovative yeah. offense. And then, so you could argue that if you – if you're not so behind the curve philosophically on offense, then you you recognize what Cam Newton can do. That then leads to, I guess you could say, Nick Marshall's not a cornerback. That's exactly right. He's a quarterback. Yeah, yeah I, I remember writing a story once at the at one of the national. It may have been the national championship game uh, in uh, in um, in uh, the, the in Glendale. That, uh, you know, you had uh, um, all these quarterbacks had played for the national championship uh, or, or led their team to the playoffs were, were out of the were Georgia were from the state of Georgia. There was uh, um, Blake Sims of Alabama that mm-hmm. was a part of the team that won the SEC and lost to Ohio State from Deshaun's high school. Yeah. And uh, Deshaun. And then. Um, uh, KM, of course, from Westlake. And uh, who's the other one? Oh, yeah, Nick Marshall. So, uh, yeah, there you go. There's four four guys who, who played in a, in a, uh, in a playoff-type game uh, were Georgia quarterbacks, but none of, them, none of them played quarterbacks for Georgia. And then you can update that story six years later with uh, just, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Yes, you can. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah, we've gone through that one a few times. Yes, I mean, you know, one. Uh, I live in Cobb County, in Justin Fields, just up the road, and uh, um, and uh, Trevor Lawrence, not too much further up the road in Cartersville. So, it's uh, yeah, I know it's it's it it is pretty remarkable. But you know, then again, I I, I don't know. Jake Fromm was pretty good for a yeah. while. And uh, Jacob Eason was a big deal for a while, mm-hmm. and Justin Fields was was a was a great recruit, and they did sign him. They just 
didn't couldn't keep him. So um, uh, and and yeah, I, it, it's been you know the 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 fields thing is something that that uh, that people um, that one that one that one has attached itself to Kirby in in a way that um, you know. Um, because people still look at him as the guy that didn't know what to do with Justin Fields. And, you know, I don't know that there's a great way to play it with two quarterbacks of that, of that caliber. You know, obviously Clemson had an issue when, uh, with, uh, Kelly Bennett or Kelly Bryant and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, he didn't, uh, he got benched after the Georgia tech game and didn't, didn't even go to another Clemson practice. So that's, kind of the way of the world if you're not starting you're departing as they say last question um at the moment you know clemson is viewed as a a blue blood and part of the reason to expand the playoff because everybody's bored with the same old same old teams but if you rewind back to say 2014 and you and you tried to tell somebody that hey clemson is going to be this Nobody, probably nobody would have believed you. I don't think. What, what do you make of? No, no. Well, I, I mean, I, I, you know, the, even the first year. I mean, wasn't Clemson undefeated that for, that first year that they made the playoffs and they were like an underdog to Oklahoma in the semifinal? Yeah, they. Well, I don't know if they were underdog. Maybe they were. It was. It was pretty close to even. I think. Uh, yeah. Okay. But uh, you know, and and they were number one. And Clemson was number one seed, was it not? And then, or anyway, well, anyway. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, you, you, but now, I mean, they, they've got it going. I mean, obviously though, I mean, this is, this is largely Dabo's doing and, uh, you know, with, with lots of help from Venables and, and Tony Elliott and people like that. But, uh, um, you know, this is, it will be interesting to see Clemson after Dabo, uh, which may not be a while, but, uh, uh for a while, but still, uh, you know, it, the same way with Alabama after Saban, um, the same way it was with uh, with uh, Florida State after Bowden. When you when you lose a legendary guy, what what happens next? And it's you know sometimes you know Jimbo won at Florida State, uh, but uh, you know what? Uh, how long did it take for Alabama to get get to, to get the right guy after after Bryant uh, or UCLA after Wooden? So. What's your gut feeling on this game Saturday night? I I I I, I think this is just I, I kind of like the timing of the game for Georgia. I, I think that they've they've been kind of they they've not been off the radar. I mean they were top they ended up being the number seven team in the country last year, but um, last year was really the first time uh, uh, over the over from twenty seventeen through twenty nineteen that they were playing games at the end of the season that didn't really matter much. I, I think they like the idea of playing in a game that matters a whole lot. And, uh, and I, I just, I, I think that they're, you know, I'm uh, Clemson is used to playing in games like this. So, you know, there, there may be, there, I'm sure there's an edge there somewhere, but I, I, I just, I, I just kind of have a feeling that this is, this is, this is the one that Georgia wins. I know I said last question, but I'm going to ask one more. Is there a, okay. Is it as nonsensical to you as it is to me to hear, I don't want to say narrative, but people say, well, if, if Georgia doesn't do it this year, then when? Because, I mean, 
well, then maybe next year because they're super talented. They're recruiting like gangbusters. Does that make any sense to you? I mean, no, no, it doesn't. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I do think that, that, you know, I think fans get antsy when they, when they take a long time, but, uh, and I, I'm sure coaches do too, but it, it, you know, sometimes you win with a team that isn't your best. Sometimes things just break, break right for you. And, uh, you know, the only thing you can really control is just being good enough to be, to be there at the end of the season. And if, if you have a playoff chance, uh, then, then to me, that that's, that's a win, uh, unless you're Alabama, I guess, because Alabama, but you know, if you're there knocking on the door every year, I, I mean, you would have to think that law of averages would, would, would at some point, uh, kick in. Mark Bradley, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Really appreciate you sharing so much of your time with us. No, happy to do it, and I uh, appreciate the kind words. I mean, I know, I think the first time we ever talked was you called me about Michael Adams or something like that, the Georgia president, when you were, were you in Augusta then? Your memory is incredible. No, it's not. Uh, no, no, it's not. I'm 65. I do not know. I, I, I don't know how you remember that. But I, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, <laughs> but that one I remember. That's so I, I remember you. I remember thinking that this uh, this writer from Augusta, uh, Larry Williams, asked really good questions. Oh, wow, I appreciate that. That's 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 flattering. Well, well it should be fun Saturday later. night, and uh, thank you again, Mark. Yes, sir. Thank you again. Okay, great stuff there from an institution, just absolutely one of the best at the craft of sports column writing. Appreciate our seven sponsors for their support of the podcast. Most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play every week. Everybody, enjoy this game. Marinate in the spectacle of all this talent. We're going to be talking about these guys on both sides, I think, for a long time to come. Be safe. Cheers. <laughs>